Welcome to Bronze and Modern Gods. I'm John. And I'm Richard. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Uh, lots to cover today. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to start, Richard. Let's just give everybody the overview. We've got uh, underrated books of the week. We've got the 25-year rule. We've got uh, Facebook and Instagram at Bronze and Modern Gods. If you're not following us there, hit like, hit subscribe. Bloopy, 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 bloop. Richard, tell everyone where we're going to be in just one short Two short weeks. Two short weeks. And on September 8th, 9th, and 10th, John and I are going to be at Baltimore Comic Con. I'm going to be live streaming from the McComb booth, uh, who's been gracious enough to sponsor the show. Uh, support the show by downloading the McComb app. It's great for comic book and manga readers to track what you own, what you've read, what you still need to read next. You can add whatever data you like. If you are a super uber detailed person like Richard Brown, uh, you can add the page quality, authors, artists, whatever you want. And my favorite part, I see everybody uh, adding their collections and tagging us and following us on Wacom. Yes, yes. So it's like a like Facebook for comic book collectors. I kind of love that. And you can try it for free. Richard, where can people follow you on Wacom? Uh, Chronosafe is my Wacom name. And I'm adding my collection over time. So keep an eye on what I'm adding. And I'm John underscore Hughes, just like the director on Wacom. Download download Wacom from the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. And we will see you at the Wacom booth in just two weeks at Baltimore Comic Con. Let's hit it, Richard. Hot book of the week. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. What a tangled web we weave. <laughs> uh, hot book this week is Spawn number 306, the Nether Realms Mortal Kombat variant. I, well, well. <laughs> oh, well, what can you say about this book? Uh, for those who aren't caught up in all the drama over this book, uh, this was supposed to be a limited variant for a Mortal Kombat tournament that happened right as the pandemic hit. And as a result of, at the time, very few copies were rumored to be out there. So prices went crazy. For example, a CGC 9.8 sold in October of 2022 for $5,500. But wait, plot twist, Richard. <laughs> multiple, multiple copies surfaced this week as our friend Bucky's Books on Instagram announced he was putting 71 copies of this book up on eBay. Richard, what's the lesson here? Well, the lesson here is 71 copies is a lot to put up for a book that only has rumored 50 copies available. So, uh, yeah, you're going to change the market. You know, we have plenty of questions about why and how and what happened here. So we thought, let's ask the man himself. We're friends with him. So we asked him to join us today. And here he is. Welcome to the show our friend Bill, a.k.a. Bucky's Books on Instagram. And let's bring him on now. Here he is, the man, the myth, the disruptor, whatever you <laughs> want to call him. Bill, a.k.a. Bucky's Books on Instagram. Hi. Hey, guys. Welcome. How's it going? Good, good. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, we're going to get right to it. The most important question everyone wants to know right now from you, where did you get your Instagram handle? Uh, <laughs> really? I, I mean... It could actually be a long, that could be a long one just for that, but. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll put that one aside. I've got some yeah. other questions about other stuff. Uh, all right. Okay. Seriously. Then. Let's, sure. let's start with the good news. How did, how did your auctions go? How did they end up? It actually went up uh, great. 
um, believe it or not, they went higher than what the last people were asking for them on their IG lives. Okay. So, um, this is kind of like what I was trying to do, which was find the real value of this book yeah. instead of a race for the bottom, like things were going. So if you'd like me to hear, tell the whole story, I can. Oh right yeah. Now. Let's, let's rewind. So, okay. Where did all these copies come from? Just t take us, take us through it. Okay. I, um, an LCS, uh, down here in SoCal got approximately, uh, 480 copies that came in. And, you know, before that it was rumored to have about 50 or less, right? Around 50 uh -huh. copies. Those are the people that actually went to the event and it was probably more, but this is the amount that came in to the shop. And, um, you know, I really want to preface this by saying, I don't, you know, people were saying like market manipulation, all this kind of stuff. This couldn't have been the most anti market. This is the most anti market manipulation scenario you've ever seen in your life down to the set, the person that brought in the boxes. So, uh, from what I hear, it was kind of a motherly type, not some young punk, not the person that probably took it from, uh, the, the event. And, uh, she brought in like 10 boxes, I think. And three of the shorts were, uh, the 306s. Uh -huh. So she, I don't think she didn't know what she had. He struck a deal with her. Um, so that was like, even the seller wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to get paid, you know? Uh, and then I think that that seller was sitting on these things saying, what the hell do I do now? So I'm friends with the seller, uh, with the person that originally bought it. And, uh, he was starting to divvy them out. I don't think he wanted to, uh, keep this stuff forever. You know, yeah. um, so the person like a, a real market manipulator would just say, it's away, it's gone. I'm pulling out two or three a year and everybody has to pay. But immediately. Right, like, exactly. That's manipulating the market. Yeah, dripping them out. Right. Well, you know, LCS owners have overhead and they, they like to get ahead, you know, <laughs> and they'll make less money to, to have a secure kind of store. So uh, I bought a couple at first. And then it kind of revealed that like there was a lot, like a lot more and we struck a deal. I think he had sold 20 trade, so all trades. He had traded for some nice books to somebody. Then I came in and I bought a uh, hundred and I'm like, I'm thinking I'm advising him. I'm saying, Hey man, just, you know, we shouldn't be like fly throwing these things out here all the time. So if anybody was probably like a bit of an ass, it was me. Because I understood that the rarity of this is, you know, the value is in the rarity, right? Uh, once he, and then he traded to another dealer, maybe eighty copies, and I knew it was over. Like you know, it's over. You get two people that can trust each other. Okay, a third person comes in. It's just a matter of time. Then I was like, oh god, you know. Uh, and then uh, books proceeded to go up. This is when the books were at seventeen fifty for a raw nine two, and I got I paid for my copies maybe fifteen percent per copy of what that going rate was. It was a great deal, and anybody yeah. that had has money and got a chance to have that deal would have taken it. Of course, you're talking fifteen you're a liar percent. If you yeah, fair market right. value at the time. So yeah. that's where we were at. Um, what I think happened is that the, the original seller, 
decided to um, put up three auctions in three weeks, back to back to back. My opinion about it is once he did that and the other people that invested saw it, they were like, excuse my language. And they started putting theirs up and there began the race for the bottom. Right. Um, you know, I'm a busy guy. You were in entertainment, John, and I got a kid. I got a regular job. I have no time to be aggressive. And right. to watch that happen over six weeks was um, infuriating, you know. But it was a kind of a natural order of things. Once it gets rolling, it won't stop. Um, and right. so just fast forwarding to uh, a few days before I decided to do this, there was an IG live from one of the other sellers that they had a nine four up on their up on their live for three fifty. Three fifty. And I, I was just like, oh, okay, this is kind of the end. Um, because they're gonna tank this to 80 bucks per mm -hmm. copy. What's nice is that seller decided to tell everybody what the print run was. So I didn't reveal the print run. It was revealed in the live. So they said something uh, above like a little over 400 or something, but there's really about five. And so do I you think that's legit? What's that? Do you think that 500 number is legit? Do you think that's real? Or do you think that there was a minimum and some were destroyed or supposed to be destroyed? Yes. I think, I think some were destroyed. I think there was one unscrupulous person, you know, you can't know for sure. But I think one person took three short boxes out the door because there are minimum print runs. There's okay. maybe a, maybe a couple thousand right. that were made. And then, I mean, I, I right. do believe that they were destroyed because that was kind of a, I don't think that the kid that took it was ever meant to sell it. His mom just brought it down to an LCS. <laughs> Poor kid. He's probably losing. If, if that kid knew that, he's probably losing his mind. So, I, I texted this information to Richard earlier today, and Richard, his first question was, Richard, why why list all of them all at the same time? I mean, if you know, you had you had basically a, a big chunk of them, you could have drip fed them out. What was the um, plan with with releasing ones? One was to stop the bleeding um, because it was out of out of my control certainly and um they would have because both of those dealers were in the black they had no problem bringing it down as far as they needed to to get rid of copies and i believe that this was no longer what the market was you're on a live and you have to, you're selling to 30 people it's not the real market the real market is ebay sold because you have millions of people looking at it and uh you know right. or possibly you know and uh, so I said, well, we have to figure out what this market is. And if I let the, if I allow them to keep going, it goes below my investment. And I said, and I'm kind of a nice guy too. And I was getting guilt. I was feeling guilt at that point because it wasn't being said the print run. When they, when they said the print run, I was relieved, you know, can I jump in and, and help, uh, fortify what you just said uh for people that have not dealt with uh bucky's books on instagram he is a collector he is a nice guy and so i i'm here to raise my hand and go i don't think this was nefarious or in any yeah. way and and, and uh ill-intended um 
but you've gotten some blowback. What do you say to people who are like angry about this? Um, well, I mean, this is the full story. Uh, most people, this should be the full story that people see that people hear. I, in fact, none of these guys were nefarious. When you're racing to the bottom, you're not nefarious. Maybe the first few not telling people and, you know, maybe 10 people lost out. But um, yeah. eventually they they spilled the beans and let everybody know. And, um, you know, I think it's just one of these things. It's like, what do you not? Everyone is prepared to figure out exactly what to do with 500 copies of a $985,000 book whose only value <laughs> It's because there's 50 or less. Right. It's, it's perceived. perceived value. Perceived. perceived value. Right. Perceived. Yes. It's not it's not a golden age guaranteed, you know, one of 26 graded. Yes. So right. but we also have to remember there this is still relatively scarce for a spawn book, but if, if, even if it is 500, right? Yes. And I think that's very lost on people right now because they're all in shock. This is kind of the shock yeah. phase. And once they realize there is only 500 or around 500 copies, it will still be one of the rarest. I think there's one print run of a, of a spawn variant that's 250. That's probably the rarest. But you're right. top, and, top five rare. Huh? I'm not trying to, to bump this book up by any means. I have, <laughs> I have no horse in this race whatsoever. But no, and I'm out, dude. Yeah, aren't there more Jajabic variants than there are of this book? <laughs> I mean, uh, it'll that's... probably be around the same nine eights at the end. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, apples and oranges. I realize right. that, but this still right. is a relatively scarce book for a hot property. Right. Yeah. So what I happened mean, was, I I decided I was like, okay, um, I'm gonna pay, probably take the L on this, but I can't I can't be out of control. I can't have zero control anymore. So we mm -hmm. got to do this, and I was thinking probably I was gonna lose like seven grand on the whole thing. But everybody came out and responded. Yeah, um, I have them unpressed so they can make money off of it. And um, and it was what's really nice. The thing that came out of this whole thing, it set the market. So now there's 71 mm -hmm. comps of a now book, and everybody's you know everybody's saying, "Well, you destroyed the value." Like, no, 71 copies sold is the value as of now. Yep, and you can kind of take it to the bank. Did this is a, a a question that you may not have even thought of? It, did your followers go up? Yeah, <laughs> but I think they're trying to see the train wreck, man. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think that's why you did it, but it's yeah. actually a really nice side effect, I'm sure. Yeah, no such thing as bad press, right? Guys, if I got zero, I'd be fine. <laughs> um, I I just don't, you know, I'm not. I'm not used to the this. Uh, you guys are on camera more, and I'm not used to like going like even a quarter semi-viral. And I was just like, "Oh man, Mickey, what did you do, Spiegelhoff?" <laughs> you know. And uh, so it was kind of like a day where I was just like, "Okay." Um, but I, I, once I uh, read the comments, most of it was positive. It's just there's some people that are pissed, and yeah, you know, I think uh, we know why. Right. But I, you know, it, this was, this is actually the greatest ending for this scenario. Nobody lost money. I evened out. Right. And I just traded books. So it's actually like selling two big books. 
Everybody gets to see what other people are willing to pay for this. No one lost money, and uh -huh. it's transparent. And then we can go forward from here for the rest of the copies that are going to go for sale. Everybody knows how many is left. And at least half of these books, I can tell from what my the people that bought from me, are going into private collections. So. Any any profit from this going to go into a uh, high grade picture frame Marvel from the seventies for your collection? I can't find them, dude. <laughs> hundred. That's what he collects, by the way, for people who. Yeah. Know. Well, I, got I sold you my. Recently, that oh, was nice. Good. Yeah. Did you buy my little kids number ten from me? What? Is that you? Yeah, I think I did. The blue one. My my little. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so you got uh -huh. one. All right. Did you keep any of the the books you bought for yourself? I mean, are any yes. of them in your private collection? Yes, I have a few copies left just in case um, books get damaged and people want a replacement. I kept one nine eight, uh, like a serial killer trophy for me, and uh, one of my and my friend Taylor <laughs> bought one of the nine eights. So <laughs> I like that. And I trophy. never have to look well, at Bill, that box you. again. Oh, that cover. I mean, I get it. It's supposed to look like it's a Mortal Kombat character, I think. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. Uh, remind everyone where they can find you on uh, Instagram. It's just one word, Bucky's Books. Not Bunky Brothers. Everybody mixes this up. Bunky's, Bucky. No, I almost said it. <laughs> Bucky's Books. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very easy. And you'll see my, my ugly mug. Uh, there you go. Over. Guys, guys, thank you for right. well, finding for... the venue to, to clear this up with people. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for thanks coming for on. Up. And everybody, go follow Bucky's Books on Instagram. Top book of the Stay week. Stay there. Don't go. <laughs> exactly. Thanks again to Bucky's Books for joining us. Richard, what have we learned? Well, we, we've learned that you can determine the real value of something by establishing enough statistical data to have... Uh, a, a reasonable expectation of understanding its its price. And by having all those books sold, we now know what the real value of this book because it's been it's been proven empirically. When the book was only limited to those supposed 50 copies, that really wasn't the final price. That was just the price based on the information available at the time. Now I think we've we've, you know, the one positive thing that comes out of this is, we have real information on the value of this book. It's just so interesting that, you know, modern scare me. I mean, uh, people are saying this book is tanked, quote unquote, tanked now because of this, but there's still only 500 out there. Right. Right. You it's still a limited book. Um, it's, it's still a valuable book. Uh, people, people who want to be complete will want to have this book. But this happens all the time. I mean, look at, um, you know, warehouse finds are, are, are famous for Bronze Age books where people will come across, you know, um, a shipping container of Hulk 181s. Oops. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, and those books come out. It, does it really affect, you know, there, there have been warehouse finds for that for Hulk 181. Does it really ultimately affect the the value of the books? I, I, I think not. I think... Um, the market has determined what the price is and, and absorbs those additional copies. So I think, I think it's a good thing. 
Okay, well, let's move on to uh, show and tell this week. Uh, we've got a few books. I don't have a lot. I only brought uh, three or four, and I can start. I have two that are a set together here. Uh, got excited uh, for the opening of Blue Beetle, but it's not this guy. Wait, hold on. I want my money back. <laughs> it's the Bluer Beetle. Is a Dan Garrett Blue Beetle from Charlton. I, I saw these for five bucks each. I could not let them sit there for five dollars. Look at that Charlton Blue Beetle goodness. Uh, this is right when Dick Giordano was uh, trying to revive all the heroes and, and recreate the Charlton superhero universe. And uh, I don't know, there's funky looking Blue Beetles. I like them. No, that to me is is the Blue Beetle. I'm sorry. No, Ted Cord is the Blue Beetle. Come on, before <laughs> Max Lord blew his brains out. What do you have? Uh, I got a couple stuff, a couple things. Um, first of all, you know we, we've been talking about um, foreign comics, and I have one of my favorite foreign comics that I've been I've actually had for a while. It's a Turkish book. It is, yeah, yeah amazing fantasy. This is um, for those for those who are listening. This it's an amazing fantasy book with uh, this famous Spider-Man pose from AF fifteen with uh, Spider Gwen holding uh, Miles Morales, and uh, this is actually signed by the art by the uh, artist, and so it's got a yellow label from CGC. It's it's a it's a really thick book. The case look at the size of the slab here. Um, yeah, I came across these a, a, a few years ago, and I, I actually bought two of them. I sold one over the time, but this is this is part of my personal collection. Um, I just I just love this cover. I mean, it, it really epitomizes the whole relationship with with Miles and and Gwen, and 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 this you know this is the homage to the original uh, Spider Man uh, cover. I think is really cool. Watch me so. put Richard on the spot, everybody. What's the artist's uh, Turkish name? Ah, uh, that's a good question. His his. Uh, According I want, I want to Salal Coke. Oh, okay. Oh, I was waiting for like a really <laughs> difficult. <laughs> and it, and he signed he signs differently. It's it says Salor there or Salor. Okay. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a gorgeous cover, and it's part of my my foreign comic collection. It's very very cool book. Uh, I I can't compete with. Uh, an amazing fantasy 15 turkish edition sorry so uh here's a uh, comedy comics number 34 <laughs> from timely uh you've got margie and millie on the cover and you've got uh a couple of uh guys who are just they can't decide which one of those two um timely uh, good girls they want yeah well it's just amazing how how times have changed because uh, that just looks like sexual harassment to me. <laughs> you know, the whole whistling at, at girls and it just, it just did not age well. Um, but again, we look at it in, in its time and uh, it's a cool cover. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to give the uh, artist credit for having the skirts below the knees. Very yes. good. Well, that's, you know, so we have our standards, don't we? And we're Amish. All right. What do you have? <laughs> Next one is a book I never, ever thought was going to be like a, a, a hot book. Um, <laughs> you, my, you tell X-Men 130. This is the, the first appearance of the Dazzler. Um, I, you know, I, I've been, I was buying these books when I came across them. One, because, 
you know, they are low number, well, under 141 um, X-Men, which to me meant, you know, they're cool books because, you know, that's, that's my sweet spot. But, you know, this has always just been derided over time because, you know, people's like the Dazzler, what her, her powers just, you know, it's like Jubilee. <laughs> you know? Leave my Allison Blair alone. <laughs> uh, but I, I've always liked this cover. I thought it was a great thing. The, the rumor now is that um, uh, Taylor Swift may be playing the Dazzler in a future Marvel property. I doubt that very, very, very much. But if it does happen, that's going to be really cool. So this book has, has kind of heated up. Uh, this one and its sister book, I've got Dazzler number one here. It um, needs to be Lady Gaga, not Taylor Swift. I'm just gonna <laughs> say Lady Gaga is too busy uh, doing playing um, uh, Harlequin. Uh, right. I know. Well, first of all, uh, that X-Men 130 is a newsstand. Yes, it is a newsstand. Uh, yeah. And it's a 9-4. I mean, I, I did not pay a lot for this book. This book has never really been expensive. Um, the 9-8, yes. you know, but other than that, it's been really reasonable. And, you know, so I picked this up. Gosh, I can't remember where. Just to put it in my uh, box. Um, this is not part of my permanent collection. I have a whole run of X-Men that is all in its own box. But this is uh, definitely a nice extra. Well, just like every other Gen X gay guy, I have to say, we love Dazzler. Leave Dazzler alone. <laughs> every, every, every gay comics fan that came of age in the 80s has a soft spot for Allison Blair. Uh, that cover cracks me up because they have the, the disco lights on the X-Men logo, number one. Yes, and, yes. And I believe that's a John Romita Jr. cover. Am I right? It's not a burn cover or a Cockrum cover. Um, it is a John Romita Jr. and Terry Austin cover. There you go. John Romita Jr. Uh, helping design the Dazzler. And I think he actually drew the first issue of her solo title, which, by the way, I buy Dazzler number ones wherever I see them for five bucks a pop. And I always flip them. Uh, that's always been if it's a nine eight. It's there's also an error edition. Do you know if that's the error edition? I, I do not know if this particular one is an error edition. I'd have the, to open it to find out. The error edition is missing the color plates on the centerfold and a few of the pages. Uh, sold those all day long. Always a a, a good seller, that Dazzler one. Mm -hmm. and you know why? That cover, uh, more more Dazzler facts. This tells you how obsessed <laughs> it was supposed to be a Marvel super special, magazine-sized. Uh, that's why there's that painted Bob Larkin cover. Ah, okay. uh, and then they decided to split that story into Dazzler number one and two and make it an ongoing series um, because Casablanca records was supposed to be the big sponsor behind the Dazzler. There's going to be a wow. disc album problem. Disco died, you know, Casablanca records <laughs> covered by mountains of blow and hookers uh, went under soon after. Well, that explains it because you know, the, this cover I've always wondered, this cover was always looked like it's off. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about Dazzler number one cover. The 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 Marvel bar here at the top is kind of a marble. It looks kind of like it's either shrunken or afterthought. Yeah, yeah. It's it 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 never really just looked to to be in the you know in the realm of the rest of the series, uh, rest of the books from this particular era. But like you, I buy this all the time for five bucks just because it's 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 freaking dazzler i i can't say she's a super powerful character but she's dazzler also marvel's very first direct sales only book not available on newsstands and wow. 
didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. And it, you know, that book sold 400,000 copies. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, Marvel would love to do that again. Dazzler. Not a rare book. Uh, all right. I'm going to get you all excited. It's a doll man cover. It is not a bondage cover. Oh, that's. that's but it is feature yeah. comics. Number 138. There's doll man with a dude with the banjo singing like he's on hee haw. I don't know. I can't explain <laughs> it. It's the okay. minstrel. Yeah. So Dollman is standing on um, one of those old timey microphones, it looks like. WQV. <laughs> yes. And he's fighting this guy who's called the minstrel, who is uh, holding a banjo and he seems to be missing teeth. <laughs> First nice. heat law crossover? I'm not I'm unaware. Um, you never, you didn't, you didn't have to suffer through hee haw when you were a kid, did you? Oh, are you kidding? Back then, there were all of three TV channels. So if you didn't like what's on the other two channels, you watched <sighs> hee haw. Gloom despair is hanging in on me. Uh, what's your next book? Uh, you know, I, I, I've, um, I've, I've brought this book up before, um, and. It's it's alter ego number seven. This is oh the uh, the first uh, okay first cover appearance as you can see in the lovely label at the top of of Black Adam. I'm a Black Adam fan. No matter what um, Dwayne Johnson has done to the IP, it's like he took it and threw it in a paper shredder and then stomped on it and burned the ashes. So basically, we're not going to see black adam in any future dc property that's just not happening at this point that's okay black adam still is one of my i love anti-heroes i always love those kinds of characters and so this is his first cover appearance it's not like marvel family comics number one which is his first appearance this is a retelling of that story and you know it's just it says here it's the cover here says i paid 350 for it here, right here. <laughs> um i did not pay that much for it but i did pay i think i paid 200 to who got you that book uh, some certain dude, some certain dude named uh, Hughes Huggis Huggis, I think his name right. was San Diego, right? Uh, two years ago, yep. I think. two years ago, yep. So right before the movie came out, ruined everything. Ruined everything. But you know, this is a nice alternative to Marvel Family. I had I had a Marvel Family Comics, um, I and I sold it. So this is a nice replacement for for a uh, Black Adam. And, you know, I think next week we should talk about what books are we going, we're going to take with us to Baltimore and to, because we're, we're both going to take books to submit. Oh, our submissions. Yeah. yeah that's a good idea. That. All right. Make a note of it. Cause I'll, I'll forget, uh, <laughs> but I won't forget to do viewer mail. You've got mail. Our first piece of viewer mail comes to our email at bronze gods at gmail.com from our friend, Steve, AKA minor keys comics on Instagram. Hey, John. You always talk about throwing away those fortress cases, but I'm very curious to know what books were inside the cases. Any chance you remember some of the books you freed before tossing them? Thanks, Stephen. P.S. Hi, Richard. I love you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, for those of you who don't know what fortresses are, they are a super tough method of storing your very usually expensive comic books in that were it was very popular in the 90s at fortresses um 
and basically it's two big pieces of inert plastic that you screwed together and your book was squished in between, but it was held in place and there was a place for the gases to offset. Um, and they were expensive. Uh, and I bought a whole bunch of, I remember exactly what books they were, Stephen, and where and when and why. It was the Nicolas Cage collection that was up for auction here in Southern California. And it was around the year 2009, 2010-ish. And I went, and there weren't a lot of other comic book people there. In fact, the only other comic book person there I remember was Terry from Terry's Comics. And he and I were furiously bidding against uh, each other for a whole bunch of pre-hero Marvel Silver Age books. So like Tales of Suspense, Journey into Mystery, Strange Tales. And these were in Nicolas Cage's personal collection. They were really high grade books. And I won a lot of Journey into Mysteries. I won another lot of Strange Tales. And they all came in these giant fortresses. And I thought, I don't need these things. I'm going to take these and submit these to CGC. So whatever. So I unscrewed them all, pressed the books, sent them off, and threw those fortresses in the dumpster of our uh, condo. And yeah, I didn't know what they were. I was I was dumb. Uh, they all came back, seven five eight O's. I sold them. I actually took them to Heritage and sold them all through a Heritage auction, and it made some decent coin. I more than made my money back and then some. But boy, if I'd kept those fortresses, I would have made a little bit more money. Um, we're not perfect. Now, those things are going for like 300 bucks now, aren't they? Richard, what's your next piece of viewer mail? <laughs> uh, my, my, my next piece of viewer mail came to my uh, Adult Kid Toys Instagram account. Uh, thank you. From Will Atkins, uh, the Will Atkins on Instagram. Hey, Richard, knowing you love uh, your love for all things Doom, I saw another live stream last night that sccc this year had uh some awesome doom posters check them out on ebay i love the show by the way thank you will i appreciate it yeah this is this is the one thing that i really regret for sccc we talked about this poster on preview night we're going to go over there and we're going to and we forgot we forgot about it you were so excited to be in there and walking around yeah, so I did not. I did not get a poster. Uh, I have. A, I, I've included um, John a picture of the poster. It's basically gotten six or eight. I forget how many faces of doom on the cover, and in this uh, odd um, color scheme, collagey. Yeah, it's 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 not one of my favorites. So I, I I don't feel bad about missing it. It's going for like two fifty three hundred dollars on eBay right now, which is crazy uh, because there's only a hundred and fifteen printed. I think is the 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 run. But uh, yeah, I would I probably would have bought it if I had it. But I'm not I'm not going to miss it. I've got other Doom stuff behind me here, so I'm good. Yeah, it was so frustrating because you and I went through all the preview night exclusives together. And we were like, oh, there's nothing interesting except for the Mondo booth has these Dr. Doom posters that, you know, so we're going to be there preview night. So we should go right to the Mondo booth and buy those posters. And then we got inside and we were like, la, 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 la. It was like a Homer Simpson in the land of chocolate. <laughs> well, there are so many comic book dealers there with, you know, and this was fresh meat. We hadn't gone through any of those, bo uh, those booths. So 
that's what we started. The first booth we came to that was selling comics, we went through them one after the other. And um, yeah. We didn't get the the Void Rivals exclusives or the Transformers. Yeah. Exclu- you know, we, we're, we're dumb when it comes to specking and stuff like that. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, my next piece of your mail is also from our email at bronzemoderngods at gmail.com from Peter Eddy. And Peter writes, I always get a kick out of people complaining about how many Batman titles there are. Have you seen how many Spider-Man and spin-offs Marvel has? I get that Marvel and DC want to milk the money train, but are all the Spider-Man titles any good? I don't read them, so I can't comment on their quality. I do read Batman, Detective, and Nightwing, and I've been very pleased with the writing of all three titles in the last year. Ram V is a phenomenal writer, and Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo are doing an incredible job with Nightwing. The two Eisners are proof of their great work, one of the things I've enjoyed about Nightwing is the way Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon's relationship has blossomed into a love story. So many comics today focus on good versus evil. It's refreshing to see a book bring a human side to their story. Haley, the three-legged dog, is also a nice touch. Yes, DC does have a ton of Batman spin-offs, but I can't comment on their quality because I don't read those either. I did enjoy the Batman Detective series and the Dark Knights of Steel, but I'm trying not to spend too much on new books now and concentrate on completing my Silver Age runs. I stopped the FOMO aspect of my buying and have concentrated on buying what I like. You guys talk a lot about that, so I'm grateful for the advice. FOMO was killing my wallet. Keep up the great videos. I look forward to watching them every week. Peter. Peter. It's good. Uh, I don't buy a lot of new books either, unfortunately. I, I buy Cap and Savage Dragon. I think I say that all the time. Uh, <laughs> and I don't even buy all the Cap books. I buy the Steve Rogers one. The Sam Wilson one I bought for a while and never read, so I can't speak to the quality. Uh, Captain America, I've bought and read, and we have a video uh, about that where the thumbnail is me throwing it into the trash. Uh-huh. Remember that video? So yep. uh, that's my comment on that. Batman uh, seems to be doing well. Chip Zarsky was writing it for a while. You seem to like it. Our friend Evan, the DC fan, seems to like it. So uh, uh, I just I, I can't bring myself to read any modern books. I think it's a I think it's a fault. No, I think you're just jaded. Um, yes. I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm with. Uh, I'm with. Uh, with. Uh, with Peter here. I don't have any problem with. I mean, there's there's certain characters both Marvel and DC rely on for their income. You know, mm-hmm. with with DC, it's it, it's the Holy Trinity: Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. Marvel has a bit more of a selection with with X Men and Spider Man, and um, so the fact that they're those characters are very popular it makes sense that uh those characters have a lot of exposure so they have lots of titles so that's i'm fine with that as long as the writing stays stays respectable when people start throwing out titles just to have more shelf space spider boy um <laughs> i i have a problem with that um but you know, for the most part um, you know i I'm like you, John. I, I, I really can't speak to the quality of the latest uh, books out there, you know, the, the, the newest books, because I just don't read them with any regularity. I, I hate to say it. It's, it's the storylines have lost a lot of the, the things that drew, drew me to, to, to uh, read them on a regular basis. And that may change over time, you know, it's as, as writers that I like, uh, start writing for for the books that that uh, I'm interested in, 
but uh, for the most part, I don't have any problem with 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 multiple Spider-Man or multiple Batman books. It's the nature of the industry, and you know, Marvel and DC's got to make money. They gotta they gotta pay those writers and artists, pay for those you know um, those store exclusives. I will say, from an outsider perspective looking in, I'm gonna give DC credit for at least having creators creating new IP. Um, like it or not, they're creating new villains and new characters in the Batman universe. You've got Punchline, everyone's favorite punching bag here on the show. Oh, no, our favorite punching bag is actually Miracle Molly. Um, <laughs> I like um, Stabbing too. Yeah, Punchline is definitely a, a, a punchline for us. And all those other new characters in the Batman universe where, you know, Marvel is just like, here's Kid Venom. Here's another Carnage uh mm -hmm uh symbiote you know there's no new characters being created so i i will just from my very thirty thousand foot uh view say dc does get some bonus points for that uh what's your next piece of your mail my next piece is from a youtuber commenter uh julius maloney and julius says uh it's both of your passion for love and rockets that finally got me to bite the bullet on recently released 40th anniversary box set by Fanagraphics. Wow. Uh, the first 50 issues for my birthday. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, I, I've always circled around it, but I had no idea where to start. And being a fan of Halo Jones and Tank Girl, uh, my indie collection didn't feel right without Love and Rockets. Uh, I'm so glad you 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 bought it. I think it's, um, first of all, I wasn't, wasn't aware of a 40th anniversary box set by fan it's huge and what a way to dip your toe in <laughs> <laughs> all 50 issues that's got to be a pretty thick uh thick oh, it's, uh it's beautiful richard you have really? to see it it's gorgeous uh, yeah. i don't have it because it's out of my price range right now it is beautiful the stories are just so amazing if if you have if you have an interest in what it was like to live in uh, Southern California in in the eighties, it's a testament to that. Um, just just the normal life of um, teenagers. These these characters. It started off for those that don't know. Love and Rockets started off kind of a science fictiony feel to it, um, and then slowly morphed to just a story about two girls, Hopi and and Maggie and um their life with their friends and um there was some good stuff and there was some bad stuff and uh it was it's just amazing and then and then um uh, gilbert who was another hernandez brother uh jaime wrote the the, the stuff for um hopi and, and uh maggie um the whole the whole other storylines that went on that gilbert wrote uh, and and drew um were compelling I mean, there are really interesting stories about things that i didn't know about about life in mexico and um it was a really really i should say life in palomar a really really interesting um perspective on things so if if, if you're interested in humanity and and, and understanding humanity and, and just just being involved in it without the superhero tropes and and um and uh, bells and whistles it's a great, 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 great uh, series of books, and you will not regret buying it. We talk all the time about Jaime and Maggie and Hopi, and I do have to say, I have to give a shout out to Gilbert and Luba, one of the uh, most 
this is a bad pun, well-rounded characters in <laughs> comics in more ways than one mm -hmm. uh, with her hammer uh, and becoming the sheriff of Palomar. And it's just, it's, we love Gilbert and Luba too. I just don't think we mentioned that enough. Uh, mm -hmm. Those stories are fantastic as well. Congratulations, Julius. Jeez, yeah. oh, talk about jumping in with both feet. <laughs> love the commitment. Love it. I know. Uh, my uh, last piece of your email for today is from our email at bronzeandmoderngods at gmail.com from Mike Warren. Hi, guys. This question is sort of out of left field. The MCU has mostly ruined Marvel comics for me. I was a Marvel fanboy when I was growing up. And now at age 55, after a 20 plus year absence, I've been getting back into collecting comics. I was thinking about putting together some silver and bronze at Marvel runs to go with my Betty and Veronica and my bronze horror and my golden age Marvel family stuff. Oh boy, Mike, is this show for you? Wow. Uh, <laughs> it turns out that I vastly prefer the MCU versions of the Marvel characters to the comic book versions to the point where I have little interest in the comic versions anymore. Only my beloved Moon Knight manages to remain of interest to me in comic book form, though I do also enjoy what Oscar Isaac has done with the character. What do you guys think of the MCU versions of the characters? Do they make it harder to enjoy the comics? For me, the differences are most pronounced in the MCU versions of Cap, Iron Man, and Doctor Strange, and I have no interest at all in their comics versions anymore outside of a few key issues. John, I know Cap is your favorite, Chris Evans definitely plays him younger than the comics version where Cap always comes off as a kind of father figure. Chris Evans' Cap is more like an older brother. What do you think of the MCU versions? Mark Warren. Mark, good points. Uh, I grew up with Steve Rogers. I grew up with Steve Rogers uh, pontificating, speechifying, uh, yelling at Wolverine in Captain America Annual Number 8 and saying to him, you will never be an Avenger. <laughs> That aged well. Um, that's the cap I grew up with. I see that in Chris Evans. I, I kind of see what you're saying that he's younger, older brother. But Chris Evans and uh, Cap in Civil War went right up to Tony Stark and said, "You're wrong. This is wrong. What are you doing?" Which uh -huh. you know is what Steve Rogers Cap did and would do as well. I think you're missing out, Mark. The Secret Empire story uh, in, from the Bronze Age, Steve Englehart's run on Cap, Kirby's run on Cap is goofy fun. You've got Arnim Zola and Doughboy and the Swine and Mad Bomb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Doctor Strange, again, I'm going to give Steve Englehart's run some credit where he and Clea go through the occult United States of America history where Ben Franklin and Clea have an affair. Uh, under Doc's nose. This is good stuff. Don't let the movies, which are great-ish, ruin uh, going back and at least reading these stories. I, I don't know if yeah. you, you, Mark, you were you were collecting back then. Were you reading these stories? These are classic, really good stories. Yeah, especially the Silver Age stuff. I I I, I think you're selling yourself short if you don't. The, comic books were so. Um, how, how's the best to put it? They weren't tainted by <laughs> a lot by, you know, social commentary. Uh, maybe tainted is a bad word, but it's, it's, it's a pure story back then. And I think um, there are some really, really good stories in, in Silver Age. Some characters, though, I kind of have to agree with you. I was I, I suffered through Iron Man, for example, 
for a long time and um, really had lost interest in the character. Robert Downey Jr., though, did an amazing Tony Stark. I, I can't picture Iron Man anymore without picturing Robert Downey Jr. Um, so, yeah, from that standpoint, yeah, I, I think I, I can understand um, the MCU kind of um, tainting um, your your interest in in the paper comics. But there's so many great stories and so many stories the MCU will never tell for a variety of different reasons um, that that um, I, I think you do yourself an injustice by not checking it out. I, I agree. I, I do agree with you also. Iron Man was always a dog of a title, period, uh, up until the David Michelini, uh, John Romita Jr. run in the uh, early 80s, very early 80s. It was always a dog. It was always crappy. So everyone else but Iron Man. Don't read that. Okay, what's your last piece of you? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my last piece is uh, from another YouTube commenter. Um, I'm going to say D.N. Gillikin. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, Ultimate X or uh, uh, Uncanny X-Men uh, number 109 is the earliest X-Men issue in my collection. We talked about that last week. I bought it for a couple of bucks in 1982 from a school acquaintance during lunch period. I'd say it's only a, a very good 4.0, but it's still one of my favorites. Unlike the first issue, I encountered the fill-in one ten. Yeah, this is this is great. I love I love stories where you can you have a human element attached to a particular issue, and you've held on to that issue for you know forty years now. That's that's amazing. But I picked this one because when I was doing my X Men run, um, I had I found pretty much I had every issue between ninety four and three hundred. That was my my target except one issue and i thought it was 110 i went back and checked though it's actually 111. um i couldn't find a copy of that it's not anything important about that particular issue is nothing that's earth-shaking about it i just couldn't find a copy that wasn't beat you know beat uh high holy hell so it took me a good eight months to find a copy that i could fill in and slot into my collection um but uh yeah there are some fillers in that run. 110 is one, 111 is another. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm glad you, and thank you for sharing your story about this book because it's, I, I always love to hear the personal connections that people have with their collection. A 110 was just this horrible issue. I don't know if you remember that one, Richard. It's uh, It was written by Claremont. It was done as a fill-in to have on hand just in case uh, something happened with the schedule. But the art was by Tony DiZaniga. Uh, and you know, it's so bad. Uh, even it, there's a, there's a panel of Wolverine popping his claws and they're coming out of his gloves, like instead <laughs> of being, you know, part of him, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, what a, what a bad first experience with the X-Men. I'm glad you got a better experience with 109. Uh, all so long ago, more than 25 years ago, it's a 25 year rule. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> Leave me alone. Uh, I'm not going to get any more excited when I tell you about the 25 year rule book this week, where we go back to 1998, 25 years ago when nostalgia kicks in. That is the 25 year rule. I don't know if anyone's nostalgic for Spider Man Chapter One, Issue One. Richard, I think you were coming back into comics at this point. I did not. I did not collect this. This was not on my radar. For those of you who are not familiar 
Spider-Man Chapter One was John Byrne's ill-fated reimagining of Spider-Man's origins. John Byrne had just come on the Spider-Man titles post-clone saga to clean things up and make things better. Boy, people hated this run. People hated the run of Spider-Man with uh, the new Spider-Woman who is Maddie Franklin. I actually liked Maddie Franklin. I liked Byrne's Spider-Woman title where he kind of made Spider-Woman creepy, the, the title, not the character, creepy again with, you know, flesh and bones and these weird villains, kind of like Mark Grunewald and Carmine Infantino's original run on Spider-Woman. But his Spider-Man run was with Howard Mackey was universally reviled. I don't know anyone that was excited about this. And this miniseries, which was going to cover the first year of Spider-Man's existence and bring it up to date for the 2000s, because I'm hip with kids, <laughs> was not well received. Lots of weird, unnecessary changes like Sandman and Norman Osborn are related now. Why? Because Steve Ditko drew their hair the same way. So they must be related. Right? <laughs> this title and the canceling of Byrne's other Marvel title, X-Men The Hidden Years really just kind of marked the end of John Byrne at Marvel. He was not happy with Joe Quesada. He was not happy with the new regime. He took his toys. He went home. It never came back. Um, it's kind of sad. It's people age out. I don't want to be ageist, but, you know, when you're going to dig your heels in and not move, something's got to give. Hey, the 12 month average for this book in the CGC 9.8 is uh, $39. Pick up your copy today. Yeah, in the dollar bin. Uh, <laughs> despite the negative reaction and the almost immediate retconning of this new retcon, this was actually collected in a trade paperback in 2011. Why? Who wanted this? Burn fans, probably. I guess, but it wasn't even good Bernard. It was that period where he's, I'm going to ink myself and I'm going to change my style. And oh, John Byrne, we knew ye when. <laughs> hey, let's move on to something nicer. Our underrated books of the week. Richard, you picked this and I got a big smile on my face. <laughs> you remember this book? I do. <laughs> Uh, my pick is uh, the TRS-80 TRS WizKids comics from 19... Well, they range from 1984 to like 1990s. You pronounce um, that That's Trash 80. <laughs> Being somebody who was a big Radio Shack fan, I don't, I don't call them Trash 80s. Oh, go on. Um, this is a promotional comic offered by Radio Shack to promote their computer line. Um, there are several issues. Um, they, they never had an issue number on them. Uh, but you can look in the indicia to see what year they came out in. Um, they featured, uh, you know, two characters, Alec and Shanna, and uh, they teach their class, and by extension, you know, we the reader, uh, about things about Tandy computers, Radio Shack computers, and how to how to actually use software. Uh, it's it's really to me, it's a great it's a great uh, nostalgia thing. Um, started off with three issues with DC that featured um, Superman and, and other characters. And then, then it went over to be published for the next eight issues with Archie uh, Comics. 
And like I said, this is nostalgia for me. I, I grew up on uh, Radio Shack computers. Uh, my first real experience with a computer was with a Radio Shack Model 1 that a friend of mine had. And I bugged my mother. Uh, we, you know, she couldn't afford an Apple II. They were $2,400 back then. And we couldn't afford a Commodore 64. So I begged her and begged her and we bought, uh, she bought me for Christmas one year. I could still remember unwrapping it, a Radio Shack a color computer with 32k of ram and a tape drive to store <laughs> yes it was it was a beast <clears throat> yeah so you know and I, for those who don't know i am i develop software for a living that's my career now um so my my interest in computers back then i, I turned over into an actual vocation and uh, so this is really, really important part of my youth and my growth. Now, these comments aren't, aren't really valuable. You can find them in dollar bins. Um, never really had any significant value. As a matter of fact, there's only one book on all of uh, GPA, and it was a 9.6 that went for $21. But, you know, this, these books remind me of, you know, that kid who was fascinated about, you know, writing software in, in, in the attic with my computer and I, I taught myself, I, I was curious about how things worked. And so I taught myself and, you know, that's, that's been my, my watchword for my whole career. If you want to figure out how something works, learn and figure it out. And um, it's, it's, it's got me to where I am today. And, and I have, I have to thank partially these, these comics because they really helped, you know, foster that interest in computers. I was fascinated with computers too. And uh, our, our friend of ours, our mutual friend of ours named Jeff, uh, if you mm -hmm. remember Jeff, he had a TRS-80 and tons of software. He used to pirate everything. He, I don't know. Everyone did. We all pirated software yeah, back then. Yeah. Um, and I remember distinctly playing Zork mm -hmm. on a TRS-80. And, and then there would be like, you know, I'm going to try to do a Pac-Man-like game but it was all done with you know ascii code and things like that you couldn't do graphics on a tiara city it all had to be ascii and one day he brought home a modem <laughs> you had to put your receiver on the modem and then dial out and that's how it heard the the tones and everything was from this little receiver thing mm -hmm. and like you couldn't afford a computer of my own i had a I had an Atari 2600 that was beat to hell. And then I got a, my paper out and then I got a job at Cam's Records in downtown Elyria, Ohio, where I started making a little bit of money selling records. Go figure. Um, <laughs> and I bought my first computer for myself. So I have a choice here. Am I going to get a Commodore 64? Am I going to get a TRS-80? What am I going to get? I want the top of the line. It's only the best for John. TI-99-4A. <laughs> oh i'm sorry you took cartridges richard it did i also remember seeing them on sale for 49 dollars no. no one no one wanted them <laughs> you leave me alone uh, uh, but you know it's, it's people i what what this reminded me is we're spoiled nowadays how much yeah. is done for us automatically with computers back then you know everything was an adventure you wanted to you wanted to uh, write a um, uh, a document. It was an adventure. You rolled up your sleeves and you you went through. You know you remember the the keystroke combination because there's no mouse back then. 
um, you know, you you loaded the document off your tape drive, or if you were, you know, if you could afford it off your uh, floppy disk, you know, that stored what was it, uh, seven hundred and some odd k worth of data on a floppy disk. All that stuff is hidden from us today, and I don't think people have an appreciation for how much computers actually do for us and how, how much things have been simplified. And I think reading the comic and looking at, because they go through step-by-step step what it is to run different software, um, I think it's enlightening. It would be enlightening for people who have never had to do that, as well as great nostalgia for those of us who have. We used to buy computer magazines off the newsstand. <laughs> 80 and micro, yes. <laughs> type code that was in the magazine to play games. That yes. very simplified, basic language games that you would literally look at a magazine in front of you and type the code in, and then mm -hmm. maybe you would save it to your cassette drive so you didn't have to type it in again. Oh. Um, yeah. And where you ran the software and you can hit break and you can actually read the code in the basic. I remember Midway was a big game back, back in the old days, and you could read the code and see what they wrote. Uh, nowadays, you know, we got a game coming out here uh, um, um, in uh, a couple weeks here from uh, Bethesda. Gosh, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, Star, can you help me? Uh, why can I think of anyway, uh, the game is 139 gigabytes for <laughs> Starfield is the name of the game. 139 gigabytes is what they tell you you need to have the store. You know, and back then, you know, we had 700K floppy disks. It's 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 just mind blowing how things have changed. And you know, 40 years isn't that long. Think about the phones we have on our or the phones. Think about the games we have on our phones. Uh, oh, yeah. We just carry on with this. Boy, we're old. Um, my <laughs> underrated book of the week is something that I uh, remember in the deepest recesses of my. Uh, late 80s memory, and I thought, I wonder if Richard Brown knows about this book. It is Legends of the Star Grazers, particularly number six from Innovation. Innovation was an independent publisher uh, in the uh, 80s and early 90s. They did Dark Shadows comics, which near and dear to my heart. But this is significant because it's early Adam Hughes good girl art covers. Look, Richard, she's naughty. She's getting a spanking. Yeah, this is great. I, I did not know about this, and I promptly went to eBay and bought the whole series. I warned you before we <laughs> featured it on this show. Yeah. Uh, actually, six issues of this series have really excellent Adam Hughes good girl art covers. Uh, Raws of number six in particular, the notorious spanking issue, sell on eBay anywhere from 27 to $44 for a raw copy of issue six, you might be able to snag a complete lot for a lot cheaper. Like Richard did today. You got a lot of six for how much? 65. Uh, it was 65 bucks plus shipping and all. It was like 70. There so. you go. Uh, this is a good book to look for in your LCS's dollar bin. I don't think a lot of people know about this book and how valuable uh, some of these covers are. And I just, you know, Adam Hughes, good girl art, can't lose, right? Can't, can't, definitely worth it. And that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Everyone, thanks for joining us. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bronze and Modern Gods. Hit like, hit subscribe, help the algorithm help us. And we'll see you next time. 
everybody. Stay safe.